Welcome, I'm your host, Jules DeVito, and you're listening to the Highly Sensitive Human Podcast, the show that offers an insight into the world of the highly sensitive person and helps those who identify with the traits of high sensitivity to feel more empowered and resilient without denying their authentic gifts. So welcome, Nick, and thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about EFT today uh, as a method for supporting highly sensitive people with anxiety. So I've actually been fortunate enough to have received some sessions from you Um and I found them to be really beneficial. And yeah, I'm just really looking forward to sharing this tool with other highly sensitive people today. So the first question I want to ask you is obviously this podcast is about highly sensitive people. So is this something you resonate with? And if so, which traits do you recognize as having in yourself? Yeah, um, very much so. Um, I've always recognized myself as a highly sensitive person. Um, I'm very sensitive to coffee, very sensitive to other stimulants. Um, in the past, I've actually had a lot of experiences where I've had reactions to particular substances. Um, I remember one specific time when I went to the doctor and I had a bit of a, a chest infection and they gave me a an inhaler mm. and I had one puff of this inhaler and when I got home I had broken out completely in a rash all over my body um, and I've got sort of numerous examples of how I've had reactions to particular foods and things like that so I'm very careful about what I ingest and what I eat for my diet. Um, at the same time, though, I'm very empathetic. Um, I've always been a very compassionate person. Even if I don't express it, I do feel things very deeply. And I'm often moved by little things, like the kind gestures of a stranger or, um, you know, someone giving me a hug or something like that. Just, just little things like that throughout my day often um, move me very deeply. And, you know, I really feel for people that are suffering and particularly people that have had uh, traumatic experiences in the past. Um, and, yeah, I just I process things quite deeply. I've always kind of felt that I'm an artist or you know, someone who sees the world through a kind of different lens. Um, I'm very in tune with nature and uh, I like being in peaceful environments. I'm, I'm not so keen on being around environments that are very uh, overly stimulating, if you know what I mean. Mm. 
Yeah, brilliant. Thank you for sharing. And I can definitely relate to many of those as well. And I think um, many highly sensitive people will be able to as well. Um, I thought it was interesting what you shared about the stimulants and the food, because that's actually something which isn't always spoken about. And something we've spoken about before is the connection between anxiety and being highly sensitive. Um, and I know this is a huge part of the work that you do, and we'll, we'll come to the EFT practice in a moment. But I'm just wondering, would you be able to share a bit more about what your story has been in terms of, yeah, being highly sensitive, being very empathetic, as you um, spoke about, and how this connects to anxiety for you? Mm. Yeah, so my story with anxiety really began in high school when I was around 16 years old. And I had an experience where I was doing a musical performance and I got stage fright and I completely froze up, forgot how to play the song, and I went bright red. And the whole class just started laughing at me. And I felt really humiliated. I was embarrassed. And it just it really got to me. And I was new at the school as well, so I really impacted my self-esteem. I was a real blow to my self-esteem. And after that, a couple of people uh, in the class started bullying me. And I started avoiding social situations, I started avoiding uh, groups of people because any time I was in a kind of social situation where I was put on the spot, um, my anxiety would flare up, I would get a racing heart, uh, I would kind of, I would freeze, I couldn't think of anything to say, my mind would just go blank. This, this happened for quite a while and every time I was put on the spot, I just couldn't think of anything to say, I would go bright red, my heart would start racing. And I really started to think that there was something wrong with me, like that there was something genuinely uh, abnormal about me because I couldn't, I just couldn't uh, relate to people in group situations. Um, and I started to develop this real kind of inferiority complex as well. And this went on for the most of my school years. And when I got to university, I started uh, drinking a lot. I had this feeling that everyone was just watching me all the time. Like this persistent, self-conscious feeling that I was being watched at all times. And I just couldn't get rid of it. And it was a, it was a really horrible feeling because um, I was always focused on myself. I was always feeling that I was doing something wrong or putting a, stepping out of line. or It was just a, yeah, it was... Not a, not a comfortable feeling. Uh, so I started drinking heavily and this would actually make it go away. Um, but what I found is it would always return again afterwards and often a lot worse. And after a while I just, I, I became quite depressed and I wasn't really sure whether I could get rid of this. I thought it was a part of me. 
you know, I really thought that this was something that was permanent that I couldn't get rid of. And, you know, I went to, I tried, I tried various things, tried to get rid of it. And I found that it just wouldn't go away. And so I decided that I would try to do whatever I could to, to get rid of this, to see whether it was in fact something that was permanent or something that I could actually change about myself. Um, at the time, I didn't realize that it was social anxiety or anxiety. I didn't really know what to call it. I just thought it was uh, a part of me. I thought it was just something uh, abnormal or uh, wrong about me. And uh, since then, what I've found is, you know, there are a lot of highly sensitive people out there that do have this, that do have this anxiety or this social anxiety. And um, we'll talk a bit more about the, the foundations of that and what causes it, but it's, it's very common for highly sensitive people because we are very uh, socially aware and we're very aware of when we uh, do things that are that we deem to be not acceptable, where others deem to be not acceptable. Uh, we often feel we need to fit in a lot and uh, because we have very sensitive nervous systems obviously we our bodies uh, want to, to fit and want to relate with people and I think this is why we have such a desire to uh, to fit in and conform in social social settings yeah I really appreciate you uh, sharing your story and I think it's um a really great example, you know, when you were talking about what happened to you at high school and that traumatic experience, you know, I think experiences like that are obviously devastating and impactful for everyone. But when it comes to being highly sensitive, I believe that those traumatic events have a much more prof profound and deeper impact on us because of the things you mentioned, like having a highly sensitive nervous system and just being so socially aware. Um, and mm. there was something else you said, which I found really resonated with me, that sense of um, us believing there's something wrong with us or that this is something um, that's, yeah, just part of us and it's always going to be there and there's nothing we can do to um, to feel better in a way. So I'm, I'm really interested to hear more about what kind of tools and techniques you've used in the past to try and, yeah, what did you do to try and manage your anxiety and, and what was helpful and not so helpful? So you mentioned the alcohol and the drinking a lot. Um, I, I've definitely been there as well in the past with that. And I can say from my experience, that's definitely something that wasn't helpful. Um, so I'm wondering, yeah, from your experience, what kind of things have you explored or tried to use? Yeah, I just I wanted to add something as well. Um, you know, just because we feel things so deeply as highly sensitive people, not only do we feel the positive emotions deeply, we also feel these, um, I don't want to call them negative, but uh, perhaps um, 
heavier emotions more deeply as well. And it means that our, our nervous system is kind of more easily triggered by these, these emotions. Um, and I found that that was something that was true for me. Um, to answer your question, though, what have I tried? Um, so, I mean, the key thing about social anxiety is it's really at the root of it is a feeling of shame. It's a feeling, as I spoke about before, that is something inherently dysfunctional or something inherently wrong about who you are. And this feeling is a very uh, low, heavy emotion. And it, it separates you from, from other people, makes you feel that you don't belong, makes you feel that you don't fit in anywhere. You know, even when you're around other people, you know, they could love and care for you, they could be there for you, but you feel as though you are separate from them because you are not letting the love in, you know, you are not allowing yourself to receive it because this, this emotion of shame is blocking that. It's blocking you from allowing the love in. So I tried a lot of things uh, in my journey, in my pilgrimage, I would call it, to overcome the social anxiety. I, initially, I did what most people would do. I went to see a counsellor. I tried talk therapy, and I found that talk therapy just it really didn't help at all because I didn't have a problem speaking with people on a one on in a one on one setting, and so the anxiety was never triggered. It, it was never brought up uh, in talk therapy, so I didn't really address the the cause of the issue. make you feel a little bit better, you know, perhaps someone can relate to you, but I found it didn't address, it didn't address the problem. Um, another thing I tried was exposure therapy. For years and years, actually, I, I, I went out and I just put myself out there. I put myself in social situations to try and expose myself to um, various situations that would trigger my anxiety. But what I found is that often these situations would actually re-traumatize me and I found that at times it would actually make the anxiety worse rather than help me to overcome it because I found it so hard to accept that feeling of shame. It was so hard to accept that feeling of um, not belonging or being different. And so I put, my, put myself in various situations. I um, would go out um, with people and with the specific intent of um, trying to trigger my anxiety and trying to get through it. I did this for a long time and I mean, it did help me build social skills. It did help me in that way. I became more 
confident in my ability to uh, talk to people and to express myself and these kinds of things. But it didn't, again, it didn't address the, the bodily sensation of the anxiety. It didn't uh, allow me to release the feeling that I was holding on to. Um, so I did take medication as well for a period. Uh, I did go to the doctor and they prescribed me with uh, beta blockers, I think they were. Um, and this kind of made me, just numbed me. Uh, it, just, it just made me feel numb to the anxiety, um, which did help. You know, it did make me feel uh, less anxious. But again, it didn't, it didn't address the cause of it. It didn't address the, uh, the real issue there. Um, and it didn't help me to feel my feelings. It didn't help me to release any of the emotions any of the experiences I've had from the past. Um, and, you know, I really wanted to fully overcome my social anxiety. I didn't want to um, just cover it up with medication. Um, and so I stopped taking that after perhaps a couple of months. Um, I, just, I just felt that I wanted to actually understand that I, I wanted to get to the bottom of it and figure it out and find out whether it was in fact something that I could overcome or whether it was something that uh, I couldn't change and that was permanent about me. I think that was my biggest fear was the fear that this was permanent, that I, could, that I couldn't overcome it and that perhaps I had permanent brain damage or there was something genuinely wrong with me. Um, something else I did was I actually I travelled to the Amazon jungle in Peru and I actually did several ayahuasca sessions yeah so it's a very healing plant medicine that's been used in the, uh, the Amazon for thousands of years as a healing medicine and so I did several uh, sessions in, with ayahuasca and um, these were very grounding. They were very healing on a physical level. I felt very alive after taking this. Um, but again, I once I came back to society, once I started participating and doing my work as a uh, social worker, again, I found that this feeling of anxiety would come up, the social anxiety would come up again. And I was just thinking, you know, like, you know, I've done ayahuasca, I've done the exposure, I've done all of this. Why is this still coming up all the time for me? And I couldn't figure it out. And there was still that feeling of shame there, you know, still that feeling that there was something uh, different about me and that, you know, I didn't belong. Um, and so I ended up searching online, I was browsing on YouTube and I was looking at various things for, for anxiety and I came across this, this technique um, called uh, EFT and it seemed a bit peculiar, it seemed a bit odd, it kind of involved um, tapping on 
clearest points around your body while you're saying kind of certain phrases. And I decided I would give it a go. I decided, you know, I would try this out and see if it worked because I was open to anything basically at that point. And I thought, you know, why not give it a go? So I sort of tapped along to these videos online on YouTube. And to my surprise, it actually did help quite a bit with the social anxiety. I found that I could actually do it as well in uh, situations when the anxiety was coming up. So I could actually do it in real time as I was experiencing the anxiety. And it would help to calm me down and ground me and bring me back to a feeling of being uh, kind of clear-headed and where I could actually think properly again. And so that kind of started me on my journey of uh, using EFT to treat my social anxiety. And I found that I started to make quite quick progress with, with my anxiety. And I was able to actually go back and address that event, that experience that I'd had at high school where people were laughing at me. And I was able to release some of the, or the feelings around that particular event. And this is when things really started to change for me, when I really started to have some, some big shifts in my life. Um, so, yeah, those are the, the main things that I tried. I did also try diet as well. We, we touched on diet before. And um, for the most part, uh, diet and nutrition wasn't particularly helpful for me. I did find that eating foods that contained uh, GABA, um, there's certain foods like uh, yogurt, um, ferment, fermented foods, um, salmon, a lot of vegetables have this uh, particular substance in it as well. And it really helps to um, calm you down a lot and keep you, uh, to stabilize your mood. And I found that helped quite a bit just for my general mood. But again, that didn't address the, uh, the fight or flight response. It didn't address the, uh, the anxiety feeling. So it's really interesting what you've shared. Um, in terms of the different things you've tried, it sounds like the medication was very much numbing, the sense of numbing and not really addressing the root cause. And then you mentioned the ayahuasca um, experiences. And again, it sounds like they were really incredible, but there was something about that you not being able to integrate that experience back into your day-to-day life. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, this brought you to EFT. And I'm just wondering, can we, because some of the listeners might not have heard of EFT before. So could you explain what EFT stands for and also a bit more about the uh, technique and, and the theory behind it? So obviously you've mentioned it involves tapping and it involves um, using certain statements and you mentioned going back to your memory, the traumatic experience you had at high school. Um, So 
yeah, could you tell us what EFT stands for and also what the theory is behind it? Mm. So EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. And it's also known as tapping by a lot of people, but there is um, various forms of tapping out there. Um, It was a technique that was originally pioneered by a man named Gary Craig, but this technique has now been adapted in various ways by different people. So there's a lot of different variations out there of exactly how this works. But essentially, emotional freedom technique is a psychological acupressure technique that involves tapping on specific acupressure points around the body in sequence while you are focusing on the particular sensation or feeling that you are experiencing. And by focusing on the particular feeling or sensation, uh, you're able to release this, to feel it fully, to process it and to let it go. And that's essentially what EFT helps you to do is to process any feelings or experiences that you haven't fully processed, that you haven't let go of, and to come back to a state of peace and love within yourself and a feeling of ease within your body. Um, Because the theory behind EFT is that all dis-ease in the body, any feeling of discomfort, any dis-ease, is a result of an energetic disruption in the body. It's a result of an energetic blockage in the body. And when when your energy doesn't flow freely through your body, you experience that as negative emotion. So the premise of EFT is that all negative emotion is a result of energetic disruption and the flow of the energy through the body. So EFT is based on traditional Chinese medicine. And traditional Chinese medicine is a system of medicine that was obviously used by the Chinese for thousands and thousands of years to treat all kinds of illnesses. And, you know, we look, we look at what this system of medicine is now, we, we kind of think, you know, it's primitive or, you know, we, we know better. We think that we, we're more advanced. But the reality is, you know, they knew what they were doing. It didn't come from nowhere. <laughs> there was a lot of research and understanding behind that. Um, and this was adapted into this particular technique and it's, it's used to, to unblock your energy system like you would use acupuncture or some types of remedial massage. So really it's a, it's a somatic therapy. It's a somatic body-based therapy that allows you to actually tap into your nervous system into your your body, which is basically which is where the majority of trauma is actually held. And so you can really access those deeper parts of yourself, the the the, the, um, the trauma memory.
are a number of other semantic therapies out there that you can use, but um, EFT is probably the most well-studied uh, semantic therapy at the moment, probably alongside EMDR and uh, perhaps maybe a couple of others. But there's now over uh, 200 published studies on EFT, um, and these are randomized controlled trials, um, um, double-blind trials as well, where they're comparing it to placebo and various other treatments. And you know, they've shown that, um, without a doubt, EFT produces you know, um, results that can be deemed to be clinically significant. Um, so it's, it's a very uh, promising treatment. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's really fascinating to hear that because I do know that, yeah, when people hear words like the energy system or energy body, energy blockages, and we're talking about Chinese medicine, um, usually the response I hear from people is, well, where's the scientific uh, research to support this energy system or that this energy exists? Um, I'm also a Reiki practitioner, so I work a lot with energy as well in the sense that my belief system is that we have, yeah, all of us exist uh, within an energy field and as you pointed out, yeah, our emotions are stored in the body. Um, so I think, yeah, just to hear that something like this, which does work with the um, energy within our system and works somatically and is also supported with these scientific studies is just amazing. It's amazing that that research is being done and you said was it 200 published studies have been done yeah. so far yeah yeah so it's incredible and I think more that, than that now right okay so I think that will be um really reassuring for people to hear who are you know scientifically minded and want to see that um that evidence let's say um, and I can just say as well, going back to my experience, like I said, I obviously received these sessions recently from you. And, um, you know, when we went into the sessions, I actually didn't do any research on EFT. I knew about it and I had a basic understanding of how it worked, but I didn't, I didn't want to cloud my judgment. I just wanted to experience it and see how it felt and I was really blown away actually by how um how much it impacted me in the sense of I really felt that release that release of energy and that shift in my body um and I think yeah that comes back to this idea of us really understanding that when it comes to trauma or things like anxiety um it is we do have to work with the body we do have to work with the energy yeah absolutely um it's all about the body at the end of the day and about tapping into that it's when you change your emotions when you release the emotions at the root of that belief the 
belief also changes as well. And so there is a there is a relationship between beliefs and emotions. You can either work from belief down to your emotions, or you can work from your emotions up to your beliefs. And when there's no longer the evidence there for that belief, the belief collapses by itself. Yeah, so with that being said, I'm just wondering, can you share a bit more about the work you do with EFT and how you use it to support highly sensitive people? Um, Earlier you mentioned how you started uh, watching online YouTube videos and I'm wondering how that how that would be different from, let's say, having a one-to-one session with yourself or another practitioner. Um, so, yeah, could you explain a bit more about that and how it works? Mm. So the thing is with YouTube videos, it's kind of a cookie-cutter template. It's a one-size-fits-all kind of treatment. And the thing with EFT is it's most effective when it's specifically targeted at your particular uh, emotion or your particular experience that you've had. So the more customized it is, the more specific it is, the more effective it is. So when you're able to work with someone who can really customize it to your particular situation, you get much better results. And so the work I do with highly sensitive people is, you know, I've really found that highly sensitive people tend to have a lot of shame and guilt from past experiences. And in a lot of cases, they'll have significant trauma, which has influenced them growing up. And because shame is the root of social anxiety, uh, highly sensitive people tend to suffer a lot more from social anxiety and other types of anxiety disorders just because we we feel this shame so deeply and it's so prevalent for us, we often feel that we we don't fit in or we don't belong. And we may have had that feeling our whole lives. That that feeling of shame has become so chronic for us that we feel that it's just part of who we are. We may not even know who we are without that feeling. And so what I help people to do is I help them to let go and release that chronic shame at the core of their social anxiety and to to go back and look at some of the experiences or some of the situations that they've been through in the past that may have contributed to these feelings of shame and guilt. And when people are able to release this shame and guilt, they're able to find who they really are underneath. They're able to feel that feeling of ease, that feeling of, ah, oh, this is who I am, this peace, this, this deep self-acceptance. Um, and so that's what I really help people to, to find and to discover. And when they've discovered that, we, I help them to really build um, more empowering beliefs and to really condition their nervous system in such a way that they feel positive emotions. And so I use guided meditations, I use NLP, and I integrate these and I help them to feel 
positive states of emotion and positive beliefs about themselves so that they can really feel that social confidence, feel that groundedness, that, that worthiness, that they are enough and that they can go into any situation, they can go into any experience and know that they can handle it, that they are enough. Yeah, that's really, um, just hearing you talk about it, I feel empowered just hearing those words and um, just the the importance of that for so many, so many highly sensitive people. And um, so one of the things we've spoken about is um, working with traumatic memories from the past. And something I'm curious about is, let's say someone doesn't, remember or know where what the trigger was or where their anxiety has come from or in more extreme cases um you know a lot of people can repress or even dissociate from specific traumas and memories so they don't know they're not aware of where um their struggles have come from so in those cases does EFT still work and how would you uh, help someone if they don't know what, what the root cause is? Mm, yeah. So the thing is with repressed emotions is what I firmly believe is the, the body has its own intelligence. And so when it feels you're kind of, when it feels you're not safe or it feels that you can't handle whatever's underneath it won't allow you to experience it. It won't allow you to, to deal with that. And so you can still use EFT with depressed memories because the reason that that particular person can't access that memory is because there's some resistance around accessing it. There's perhaps a feeling of fear around accessing it. There's perhaps a feeling of... Um, discomfort around accessing it, perhaps some hesitation. And so what you can actually do is you can tap on the resistance to feeling what's underneath. So there may be multiple layers to this particular trauma or this particular incident. You've got the top layer, which may be the resistance to actually feeling what's underneath because it's so painful. You know, it's, it's too much to bear on a daily basis. You can't go about your life feeling this all the time. So it gets pushed down. It gets pushed into the subconscious. Um, and so part of the work is actually breaking through that resistance and allowing the person to actually access those memories. And so there may be a, a bit of work around that. That may take several sessions for the person to actually start um, having flashbacks or to start remembering parts of the memory. And if they really can't remember it at all, there is other ways to work with it as well. There is, you can actually make up a memory or make up a situation that is similar to what the person thinks that they experienced because the emotions will be similar. And you can tap on that and quite often in the process of tapping on this made-up memory, the real memory will surface or parts of the real memory will come up and then you can switch to working on the, the actual memory. 
The other way you can do it is the person may remember partial aspects of the memory. They may just have a memory of a look or a particular phrase that a parent or family member has said to them. And this may be something that's been repeatedly happening or that's occurred numerous times throughout their life. And so the key with EFT is really to access the emotional disturbance or the emotion, the energetic disruption at the at the root of what that person has experienced. And so you can tap on that particular phrase or you can tap on that particular look that that person experienced and that will get at the feeling, that will get at the emotion behind it. And that's the key really is getting at the emotion behind the experience. Right. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And I'm assuming as well that even without a memory, you can work with the sensation. So you can tap on the sensation. Is that right? Because um, just as an example, I know that when I feel anxiety, I mainly feel it in my, my chest, like a tightness in my chest. So can you simply tap on the sensation even if it's not associated with a, a memory would that work absolutely absolutely so you can tap on the sensation you can tap on the feeling normally if the person can't remember the experience they probably won't feel the feelings either but if that person is experiencing feelings on a daily basis of the anxiety or depression or whatever they're feeling, they can tap in the moment when they're experiencing that and that will help to lessen that particular feeling and bring mm. it down again. Yeah, brilliant. So I want to ask you what it is that inspires you or drives you to do the work you do. Mm. Well, the thing is, you know, having experienced the social anxiety and this, these feelings of shame for such a long time in my early years and you know, thinking there was something genuinely wrong with me, you know, I really feel for people that think that they are stuck or that their anxiety is incurable and perhaps that they're just a lost case. You know, it really bothers me when health professionals tell people that they can't recover or that they simply have to cope or be put on medication and that there's no hope for them. Look, I know how painful it can be to feel disconnected from yourself and from others around you, even though you might be surrounded by people, you might be loved, you might be cared for by other people. But as I mentioned before, the thing is, if you can't love yourself, you can't let the love in. You can't receive it. And so it feels as though it doesn't exist and you feel separate from other people. So I feel drawn to this work and it, it brings me a lot of joy. It brings me a lot of satisfaction to alleviate people's suffering in some way and to help people based on the past experiences that I've been through. 
And I would call myself kind of somewhat of a, a shaman or a healer or perhaps a mystic as well. I've always kind of felt that to be my, my calling, to help raise people's level of consciousness and perhaps the level of collective consciousness on the planet as well. I feel kind of deep down that that's, that's really my, my purpose. That's what I'm here to do. Yeah, thank you for sharing. And I really resonate with, you know, some of the things you just said. I I also have felt in the past very much let down by health professionals and this sense of, you know, um, being told, you know, just to go back to the medication and this idea of, oh yeah, if you're, if you feel anxious, if you're depressed, then there's something wrong with you and you just need to take medication and numb it or get rid of it. And I, I feel so strongly about the importance of letting people know that, yeah, of course, medication does have a place. And for some people it is necessary. I'm definitely not saying that it isn't, but I think this belief that it is the only answer or this belief that, yeah, there's nothing you can do um, other than try to numb it or avoid it um, is such an, it's such an important message. What you were sharing in terms of knowing that it is possible to find solutions. And obviously, you know, for you, EFT has become that it's something you have found and it's been incredibly beneficial on your journey. And obviously for other people as well that you're supporting. Um, and something else you said, um, in my last uh, podcast episode, I was talking to Marina and we were talking about this concept of the wounded healer. And I believe that many highly sensitive people um, do tend to go through a lot of struggles in life. Um, we, we do tend to have had a lot of trauma or challenges and had to have faced our own um, I can't remember what you called it earlier, but this idea of being on a journey and, you know, you, you shared as well that this is kind of your calling in a way. And, um, yeah, there seems to be a, a connection with being highly sensitive and having this calling towards helping others and being a guide or a leader for others in some way. So yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so too. I think that um, as highly sensitive people, because we because we feel things so deeply, because we have such a sensitive nervous system, we we go to depths that perhaps other people don't, that perhaps other people haven't experienced or haven't felt. And um, and with those kind of explorations, with those depths of understanding, we we have a, a certain awareness, a certain um, ability to teach people. Um, and I think that's, that's a real gift for highly sensitive people. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. And so when, as we've been talking today, we've been talking a lot about um, 
the body and and somatic working somatically with emotions and energy and um i was thinking about a couple of books one is the body keeps the score i don't know if you've ever come across that one and um there's another one called when the body says no and it's by gabor mate who was also mentioned in my past um in the past episode um and i just wanted to mention those because i think they're amazing books in terms of understanding how our body does store emotions and trauma but with that being said i'm just wondering if you have any specific books or quote or anything you'd like to share for our listeners today well i thought i would share the books that have influenced me the, the most um those books you just mentioned by uh Vanderkolk. um that's a fantastic book, and uh, I love Gabor Mate as well. He's, he's brilliant. Um, but the two books that I would say that have really influenced me is uh, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle and uh, A New Earth, his other book. There's also a book that really uh, helped me a lot. It's called The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watt. Um, that's, a, that's a fantastic book as well. Thank you for sharing those. Um, yeah, I also love The Power of Now. I think it's an incredible book. Um, and I love Alan Watts as well. Um, but I haven't read The Wisdom of Insecurity. Is that the name of the book? Yeah, great. So I will put the um, links to those books in the show notes so people can access them as well. So thank you so much for sharing those. Um and yeah, as we're coming close to the end now, is there anything else you'd like to share? Is there anything you feel we haven't mentioned? Yeah, I just want to add, uh, I don't think I mentioned this before, but yeah, so the, the, the mind is really essentially just a, a record of your experiences and impressions, you know, from the day you were born up until now. And so power of EFT is really able, being able to change the way that you interpret situations because everything is just an experience, right? Everything is just happening, but it's the way that we interpret it. It's the, what we tell ourselves about what's happening that causes the disruption in our energy system. And that's what dictates how we feel. So when we can change how we, the story that we tell ourselves, when we can change the interpretation of what's happening, then our whole world begins to shift. The way we see things shifts and uh, we can start to experience more peace, more fulfillment. And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. So having that feeling of being content, and that feeling of being satisfied uh, no matter what's happening around you. And um, the only way to do that is to to address it at the root level, to address it at the core level, and to let go of those emotions like shame and guilt that prevent you from feeling the deeper reality, prevent you from feeling what's underneath and um, that's 
that's really what I help people to do. That's what my work is about. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that. I think that's such a great message to end on, just that sense of giving people hope and knowing that there is that opportunity to find that peace. Um, And even if it feels like you're in the depth of that struggle with anxiety or it could be depression, whatever the struggle is, just knowing that there is a way for us to, yeah, rewrite that story. You were talking about, you know, everything being a story in a way and um, just knowing that it is possible. So thank you so much for sharing. And just to finish on, is there anything, is there anywhere listeners can go to find out more about your work and the resources that um, you've mentioned here today? Yes, so they can go to my website, which is socialanxietyfreedom.com, or they can find me at my uh, personal Facebook page, which is Nick Jelly. Brilliant. And again, I will put the links to your website and your Facebook page in the show notes so people can access those really easily. So thank you again. It's been really amazing talking to you today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great to be here. Thanks for joining me this week on Highly Sensitive Humans. Make sure to visit my website, highlysensitivehumans.com, where you can subscribe to my mail list for regular updates or join the Highly Sensitive Hub, which is a membership area and growing community for highly sensitive people. In the membership area, I share monthly bundles of resources, tools, meditations, and we have a community forum and monthly workshops for us to get together and support each other on our journey. And if you found value in the show, I'd really appreciate a rating and review. And please share this episode with your friends or other highly sensitive people that will find this podcast helpful. 